you guys doing? It is great to see you. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Happy New Year. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars, guys. We love you. Great to have you guys here. Did you guys have fun last night? I absolve you of all your sin right now. You've been covered. So anyways, no, no, thanks guys for being here. Appreciate you guys coming out. And uh, thanks for joining us on this first day of 2017. 17 means victory, by the way. This is going to be a good year for you. I'm here to declare that over you. I really believe that. Thanks for joining us. Hope you guys had a great time last night. And so uh, pull out your notes, you will. We're talking today about a new year and a new you. I am very excited about this next year. I believe it's going to be a great Great year for you. I know last night was a lot of fun. A lot of people had a lot of fun at parties and events and that kind of thing. Uh, here's a couple of things from New Year's, by the way. An optimist stays up till midnight to see the new year in. A pessimist stays up till midnight to see the old year leave. So there you go. There's a difference. I like this. Youth is when you're allowed to stay up uh, till midnight on New Year's Eve. Middle age is when you're forced to, right? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like that was like tough to do, by the way. This just in, by the way, the Ohio State Buckeyes would like to thank uh, Mariah Carey for covering for him. So I was going to tell you that, too, on that bad performance. So I actually did some karaoke last night, and I will say I sang better than Mariah Carey did last night. I just want you guys to know that. It's proven. So, so here's my, my, late, my last uh, couple of years' worth of New Year's resolution. I think there's a big deal. You know, I should just confess that. So in 2015, my New Year's resolution was to work out five days a week. In 2016, my New Year's resolution was to work out three days a week. And in 2017, my New Year's resolution is to drive by a gym at least once a week. <laughs> I'm serious, guys. I think I can do it this year. I really think it's going to happen. So glad you guys are here. You know, did you guys watch the, the ball drop? I love watching that because it reminds me of all the balls I dropped all year long. <laughs> so this year, let's see if we can keep that from happening, right? Let's see if we can get some things done. So I want 27 to be a great year for you, and I believe it's going to be. So I want you to take some notes. Do me a favor, take your bulletin. If you turn it over, there's actually a place you can, you can take notes on that thing. I'm pretty sure there is. Let me see, make sure. Yeah, I don't want to be promised or something that's not there. Yeah, so there's a place you can take notes. So pull it out if you would, and I want to give you three simple principles this year to make this year new for you, not just a new year, but a new you. And so the first principle really is, is something simple, and, and but well, let me give you three principles. Before I do that, though, let me just lay this, this foundation before I do that. And that is that you can't have a, a new you or a new year without doing something different. You've got to do something different if you want a better year. If you want it to be different, you've got to do something different. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today out of the book of Habakkuk. If you've got that, turn there in your Bible. It's in the Bible. Turn there, and what you do is you go to Psalms and turn left, okay, in your Bible. Or you can just save a lot of time and just admit that none of us know where it is and just go to the table of contents. That's okay, too. Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk was a prophet that really wanted to see change for Israel. Israel was not doing well, and they really needed God's blessing. They wanted God's hand on their lives. They wanted to sort of return turned to the Lord, and Babylon was uh, near them, and the Babylonian king was really kind of running their life, and it just wasn't going well, and so they really were trying to get back on track, and they wanted change in their lives, and so, and, and, and I think that's, that's where all of us are. We want change in our lives. We want positive change to happen, and so how can you really get a new year and a new you this year? So how is that, that, that possible? Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. He says, I will climb up my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. So, you know, where are you complaining? Where is it that you're not happy? Are you complaining about your marriage? Are you complaining about your kids? Are you complaining about your career? Are you complaining about your money situation? Are you complaining about your debt? Are you complaining about your attitude, or are you just depressed? What are you complaining about? What are you not happy with in your life? Take a hard look at that, and then take it to the Lord. 
So he took his complaint to the Lord, and the Lord answered. The Lord said to me. Now, this is interesting. When we complain to God, how does God respond? He doesn't say, I'm going to fix that for you. That's not what he says. He says, I'm going to give you a new vision. So the way to fix the area you're complaining about is to get a new vision for it. The way to fix your marriage, instead of complaining about it, is to get a new vision for how your marriage can be. Instead of complaining about your career, get a new vision for how your career can be. Instead of complaining about where your business is, get a new vision for your vision can, where your business can be. Instead of complaining, saying, I feel so distant from God, get a new vision for being close to God, walking with the Lord this year. And so what is it that you want in your life? Get a new vision for it. Look what it says. The Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets. Maybe it's a Galaxy tablet. Maybe it's an iPad. I'm not sure what kind of tablet it is. Write my vision plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. The vision is for the future, is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. The first thing that we see here is that Habakkuk goes to the Lord with a complaint and God says, let me give you a clear answer, a clear vision. Another translation, the same version says, instead of saying, write the answer on a tablet, write the vision on a tablet. What is your vision? What do you want to accomplish this next year? This may seem really simple, but most people don't do this. Would you write this down? Number one, decide what you want. You got to make a decision. What do you really want? Making a decision means that all other options are no longer valid. The decision has been made. This is what I'm going to do. So you have to come to a point of decision, and then you set goals based upon that decision. But so many times in life, we just don't make a decision. We, we look at our different options. We say, you know, my answer is maybe, and that's final. But that's really not an answer. We've got to make a decision of what we're going to do. What is it, you know, some of us are, are toying with school. Make a decision to get your degree this year. Don't just mess around with school and take a couple hours here, a couple hours there. Make a decision. I'm going to go, I'm going to go full bore, and I'm going to get my degree. You know, make a decision. Just say, oh, I'm going to try to lose a little weight this year. Make a decision what you're going to weigh, and don't stop till you get there. Make a decision. Make a decision to pay off your debt finally. So you know, I really need to pay off my debt. I'm, and you're, you're just complaining about it. Instead, just make a decision and say, this is the last year of my debt. I'm going to wipe it out. And just wipe it out. Just make a commitment to it. Make a decision to be all in as a parent. Make a decision to pursue your spouse. Make a decision to say, I'm going to be church every Sunday. That's, just, that's, just, that's what 2017 is going to look like for me. I'm not going to miss God's house. What is it that it's time for you to make a decision? Maybe your decision is to say, I'm just going to make a decision to become a Christian. I've been coming because my spouse has been dragging me. My family's been bringing me every year. And I've just been wallowing and just, I just really haven't made a decision. I'm finally just going to say, this is the year I do it. This is the day I do it. And just make a decision for the Lord today. What is it that God's saying? It's just time to decide. What is it that you want? What is your desire? What has God placed upon your heart? Now, I want to remind you of a verse that I've used a lot here, but it's important. Psalms 37, 4 says this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give the desires of your heart. Notice it says the desires of whose heart? Your heart. So it doesn't say the desires of God's heart, desires of your heart. And you say, well, well, so does that mean God wants me to do what I want to do, not what he wants to do? If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, then he's going to put his desires in you. So your desires and his desires become enmeshed. They become one. And so you can trust that. Now, a lot of people, especially if you grew up in a religious household, I'm just telling you right now, I'm going to kind of call you out on this one, have a problem with that. Like, whoa, hold on. No, no, I can't just do what I want. I got to do what God wants. Again, what's the, what's the belief underneath that phrase? The belief is that what God wants must be bad for me or must be something I don't want. Let me tell you something. Every missionary I know on the mission field wants to be there. 
I've never met a missionary who, who said, I just knew God wanted me to go. I hate it. I don't want to be there, but I'm going to go. Because they, they, someone with that attitude won't even get supported. A mission agency or individuals that support them will be like, I'm not going to send money to send you there. You don't even want to be there. People that go to the mission field want to be there. The reason I bring it up, I know people that say, oh, if I go to church, I know if I give my life to God, he's going to make me go somewhere I don't want to be. That's not how God works. That, that's built upon a belief that God is some kind of mean God who wants to torture you and make your life miserable. But let me tell you something. God is a good God who loves you, who wants to bless you. He wants you to be happy. He doesn't want you to be miserable. God wants to bless your life. He's got good plans for your life. I don't pastor to church because I'm forced to be a pastor. I like this job. I like my gig. I want to do this every week. I'll be back next week. God gave me the desires of my heart. God wants to fulfill you. He's a good God who loves you, just like you want your kids. Do you want your kids to succeed? Do you want your kids to be happy? Do you want them to be fulfilled? Yes. Why would God be any different? He's a loving God. He's holy, and we're not, and we want good things for our kids. And of course, how does a holy God feel about his kids? Us. He loves you. He wants to bless you. And so know that, there's no, that these aren't separated. What I want versus what God wants. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, that's the key. Saying, God, I want to honor you with my life. Then as you honor him, he will shape your desires. And then God says, if you're honoring me, giving me your life, honoring me with all that you are, trying to pursue me, you have no known sin in your life. What I mean by that is not that we're perfect, but that we're really trying in every area to honor the Lord. And if you're doing that, guess what God says? This may shock you. You know, he says, do what you want. Because your life's devoted to me. Now do what you want, and I'll shape your wants. That's how he works. God operates that. He, he gives you preferences. He builds you with desires. He wants you to achieve those things. Look around you. See this church? This is what I saw in my mind 20 years ago. Here it is. God gave me a vision for this, and I've been working towards this for the last 20 years just about now. And so it'll be 19 years this month. And my wife and I moved to Corpus Christi, didn't know anyone here, began this little church, and our, we began a Bible study of five people, moved eventually to, when we got to about 20 people into someone else's home, then, then we rented a, an elementary school, and I remember, I remember the day we, we broke 100 people, I thought that was Billy Graham, this is huge, man, this is just massive, <laughs> I'm telling you, and we just kept dreaming and believing God for big things, and it just kept growing, and here we are to this day, this is the dream, I'm in it, I love it, and I believe God has greater things for us. God wants you to pursue what he put on your heart. You've got to decide what you want and then go for it. Make that decision. People that are older, let me tell you right now, people that are in the twilight years of their life, I've never met any, anyone in the twilight years that say, I regret something I did. They regret what they didn't do. It doesn't mean they didn't make mistakes. They sure would go back and, and change the things, but the biggest regrets are never the mistakes they made. The biggest regrets are the dreams they didn't go for the things they didn't attempt, the things they didn't try. So I want to challenge you. Success is not achievement. Success is attempting. Are you willing to try? I want to challenge you on this to decide what it is that you want. You know, I love going to the buffet. And when I go to the buffet, like, like we, in, in South Texas, it's called Luby's, right? But if you're up in the north, it may be Piccadilly or it could be Furs or something like that. But we, we all have buffets. But when I go to Luby's, I get my tray. Now you're laughing at me because I'm like the youngest one in there by 30 years. But that's okay. <laughs> I'm at Luby's. I love it. I call it God's waiting room. I'm there. I got my tray. And I'm going through the line, and they go, what, what kind of salad would you like? And I'm like, yeah, skip the salad. Give me the jello every time, man. Give me the jello, right? I get the jello. I keep going. What kind of meat would you want? And you get to the very end of the line. You ever been to the very end of the line, you realize you didn't make a decision, and you want to go back? You're like, oh, can I go back? I, I didn't get that. Now I want it. Because you were holding out, thinking there may be something better down the line. Don't do that in your life to where you end up at the very end of your life with nothing on your tray because you never committed anything. 
Make some commitments. I want to challenge you to decide. Hey, how long are you going to date this person? Decide if you're going to be your husband or wife. I mean, you're wasting their time and your time. Make a decision, right? No, I'm not saying if you've been dating them a week. That may be a little early, but <laughs> you've been dating them for years. Really? I mean, you, we need to make a decision here, right? Decide what your career is going to be and then commit to it. Because you're going to be in starter jobs over and over and over again until you decide to say, I'm going to make this one work. I, I know that I'm not making a lot of money. I'm going to have to lower the tone of the pole, but I'm going to commit to this career and I'm going to start to rise up in this field. But you've got to decide, this is what I'm going to do. What is your decision? Decide this is your church. Don't just attend here casually. Say, this is my church. I'm going to join it. I'm going to become a member. I'm going to start serving. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to get in a small group. I'm going to become a disciple. This is my church. And if this isn't your church, decide that and find a church that is. I'm okay with that. But make a decision. One of the biggest problems that we have is that oftentimes we toy with things rather than getting serious. God wants us to get serious about our faith, get serious about our health, get serious about our relationships, get serious about our commitments to, to, to one another, get serious about our friendships. What is God leading you to make a decision in? It's time to decide. Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, same verse in a different translation. This is a New Living, uh, the, the Living Bible translation. It says this, and the Lord said to me, write my answer on a billboard. I love that. A billboard. They're, those are big, man. I mean, we, we have a billboard in Corpus Christi and in San Antonio right now. We've had them in almost every town that we've had a campus. We've had a billboard one time or another. And I'm telling you, billboards are big. They're, if you walk up to one, if you actually walk up, if you climbed up the ladder and got next to it, you'd be like, wow, that thing is huge. They are so big. They make them really big. And I can tell you there's an art to doing a billboard. I've learned this over the years because we have a few. I will tell you that the art to a billboard is to put very few words on it, Make it very clear, like the background color needs to be very much a contrast to the font you're using, to the color, to where it pops and you can read it quickly, because you're not going to slow down to read that thing. You don't put a paragraph up there, just put a few key words, right? That's it. You put it up there and you drive on by. Write it on the billboard. What that means is that, what do you want to do with your life? Decide, keep it tight, short, this is it, this is what I'm about, and then run with it. The point of a billboard, the point of a big sign, a big tablet was what? So a runner can run with it. So God assumes that when you decide, you're going to go run in that direction. He's saying, make a decision and then do something with it. Go in that direction. Based upon this verse in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, I called our media department up and said, hey, I want to put our, our mission statement on our billboard this month to where everyone in town knows this is what we're about. What are we about? To take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're about at Church Unlimited. I just figured, let's just tell the whole world that. That's what we're about. That's what we want to do here. And so what are you about? Write it on a billboard. Make it clear. And then set goals based upon that. That's a big deal. Then we want to set goals based upon what it is that you've decided to do this year and then go for it. Set goals based upon that. You know, 1979, there was a study done at Harvard University, obviously a pretty good school. The MBA graduates that year they, they asked them one set of questions. They said, do you have goals? And then the second follow-up question was, are they written down? They just, they just did a panel of just all, they just did a survey of all the graduating uh, students of the MBA program. These are obviously sharp students. They're in Harvard. And so what they found out was that only 13% of Harvard graduates from the MBA program had goals beyond enjoying their summer. Out of 13%, only 3% had written down their goals. Now, that's, that's fine, but what's more interesting is 10 years later, in 1989, they went and found all those graduates, and they asked them how it was going. They did a survey on their life. Here's what they found out. 87% didn't have goals. 13% did. 
the 13% that had goals were earning on average twice as much money as the 87%. Twice as much. But here's the real shocking thing. The 3% that had written down their goals was earning more income than the total of the 97% of everyone else. That should make you write down your goals. 3% earning more than the 97% combined. Clearly, we should write down some goals. Turn to person next to you and say, write down your goals. You need to determine what it is you want and write it down and make action plans to go for that plan. Let me show you something else. Luke chapter 14, verse 25, it says this. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple. Now, let's just stop real quick. Jesus is saying, hey, you want to follow me? This is what you need to do. So I think it's pretty important, right? He's got this huge crowd of people. He says, hey, you really, so you guys say you want to follow me. Here's what you got to do then. So this is about discipleship. What I'm going to say next, please understand, this is not about goal setting. This is not a business seminar today. This is about your personal discipleship. Look what he says. If you want to be my disciple, right? He says, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Is he saying that we should hate one another? No. He says, by comparison, like, you should love me so much it seems like you hate your wife. Wow. You should love me so much it should seem like you hate your brother and sister. You, <laughs> some of you are like, I, I do hate my brother and sister. Yeah, that's not good. That's not, that's not what God wants. You should love God so much that every other relationship pales in comparison, is what he's trying to say. He's, he's being a little bit of a shock jock here. Jesus is saying, by comparison, you should love me that much. This is really important. What's, what's he saying? He's saying there's a price to discipleship. To really following Jesus, the price is you have to listen more to Jesus than others even that you love. This doesn't mean you don't listen to those you love. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that your greatest uh, influence in your life should be Jesus' words to you, not other people's words to you. And so I, I love my wife. Here's the funny thing about it. I've learned that if I'll put Jesus over my wife, it makes me better towards my wife. If I put Jesus over my kids, it makes me love my kids, even when they're not that lovable. Right? I'm, I'm not the only one here that has that situation, right? <laughs> the point is, is that it makes me a better parent, makes me a better husband, makes me a better pastor, makes me a better friend. And the reason why is that if I have a friend that hacks me off, my love for Jesus will, will cause me to forgive them instead of just respond to them how I want to in my own flesh. So therefore, I'm a better friend by putting Jesus above my friends. Does that make sense? And so Jesus is saying, the real price you've got to pay is, is you got to listen more to me than you listen to others. It doesn't mean you don't listen to others. You, you value people's opinion that you love. I understand that. I do too. But I listen more to Jesus even than my spouse, my kids, my mom, my dad, who I love dearly, all of them. But I listen more to Jesus above all of them. What, what does that really mean? Number two, you got to determine the price. Jesus is saying there's a price tag for real discipleship. Not everyone's always going to understand what you do when Jesus tells you to do something. That's what he's saying. That's the price. The price is sometimes you're going to pay the price of not being popular. Sometimes you're going to pay the price of everyone agreeing with you. Sometimes you're going to pay the price of doing things that may not be real cool at that moment, but it's what God wants you to do. So you do it anyways. So are you willing to pay the price? There's a price tag for everything great in your life. There really is. And let me tell you something around. This is something you can tweet right here. You ready for this? There are no discounts on your dreams. You're going to have to pay the full price. Whatever it is that you want, it's going to cost you something. You want to be a great husband or wife? It's going to cost you. 
Because you can't just be average and just give an average commitment. you got to be all in then. You want to be a great parent? It's going to cost you a lot more time than the average parent puts into parenting. You want to be a great employee? It's going to cost you a lot more time. Average employees take an hour and a half lunch. Not you, man. You, bring your, you, you, eat, you eat at your desk because that's what great employees do. They put more time in. What is it that you want out of your life? You've got to be willing to pay the price. And the price for greatness is greatness. In, in other words, it's great. It, it's not cheap. If you pay a bigger price, you get a better life. Are you willing to pay the price for greatness? Everybody wants to have a great body, but are you willing to pay the price for it? It's not easy. Are you willing to pay the price for a great relationship with the Lord? The price is, is, is a little more expensive. It's, you can't be casual in your faith. When God speaks to you, you obey Him. You spend time with the Lord, you get in His Word. There's some disciplines involved in that, but if you'll do that, the price, the payoff is incredible. But you've got to be willing to do it. And so you have to determine what is the real price for what it is that you want in your life. Whatever that price is, you've got to be willing to pay it. Right now, I'm determining the price right now in San Antonio. We're figuring out. We're doing the math. You know, land is a lot more expensive there. Building a building is a lot more expensive where we're trying to build it. I mean, I'm like, man, this is not cheap. The land is crazy expensive. But you know what? I can either bellyache and complain over it, or we can just get busy paying it and doing it. And so this year, we're just going to do it. We're going to buy land we can't afford. We're going to build a building we can't afford. I'm going to put you in a situation again. Sorry, guys. You're going to have to help me out. God's given us a vision. Let's just keep going. If we move forward based on what we can afford, we wouldn't even be in this building. We wouldn't have any of the campuses we have, but we just move forward anyways. If I started having kids when I could afford them, I would have never had children. I can tell you that right now. I still can't afford them. I got three. You know what I'm talking about, parents? The reality is that you, you can't wait on that stuff. You make a decision and you start paying that price. Oh, it's expensive to do this, to do that. Yep. But you know what? You're going to keep complaining about it, you're going to start paying the price. Oh, man, but I don't want to get my degree, but it's four years. I know it's tough, but you've been complaining about it for seven. You could have already had it done. <laughs> so instead of sitting around complaining about it, let's get going. Let's do this. Determine what the price is going to be. I read an article on Mark Wahlberg, the actor, and I'm a big fan of his, his a lot of his, not all of his movies, but a lot of his movies, and, and I like it, action hero type movies, and those are the ones he does typically, and he's just a good actor. And I, I was reading an article, I, was, I don't know, I was, I was probably in some doctor's office or something, but I just saw it, and I was like, I'm going to read this, and so I started reading it, and I was shocked when he began to describe his daily life. I mean, I kind of had in my mind, like, what an actor does, boy, was I wrong. I was totally shocked. You know, Mark's in good shape, you know, he's, he's a middle-aged guy. But he's in really great shape. He does not have a dad bod. I mean, this guy is like, in serious, this is a dad bod. Mark Wahlberg, not a dad bod. Like, he's in great shape. You know, he gets some of the best parts in, on some of the best movies. I mean, it, it, the guy's really, he's got it going on. And so I was like, I'm curious about what he does with his daily life. When I read what his daily life looked like, I was like, you know what? I am not willing to do that. I'm sorry. That is awesome, but I'm not willing. And that's why he lives that life, and I don't, right? Now, I don't have any desire to be an actor, but I will tell you, did you know that he gets up in the morning, every morning he gets up at 3.30 a.m. and works out for an hour to an hour and a half, eats raw eggs every morning, raw. Like, pop them open, put them in the glass, down them. That's what he does. High, high-protein diet, virtually no carbs ever, ever. That's how he stays in such great shape. He memorizes his lines after he works out. By 6 a.m., he's on the set regurgitating those lines after he's had makeup. And after that, he's back home in the trailer or at home in bed by 7 p.m. That's his day. You sure you want to be a Hollywood A-list actor? Because that's what it really costs. See, when you start to realize the real price tag on things, it kind of makes you think, I don't know if I want that. 
You want to be above average? You got to live above average. You got to do things that most people aren't willing to do. What is your vision? My vision is different, but there's a big price tag with it. What's yours? Are you willing to do those things? The bottom line is, is that you have to determine what the real price is. And I'm telling you, there are no discounts. There is no half price Tuesdays on your dreams. You've got to be willing to pay the full price. You want to have a great business? You have to pay the price that other people that run great businesses have done. If you're not willing to do that, don't, don't, don't strive for it then. You've got to decide. Make a decision on what it is God's leading you to do. Determine the full price and just get busy paying that price. Look at Luke chapter 14, 28. It says, but don't begin until you count the cost. Now Jesus shifts gears. He talks about you got to be willing to love me more than everyone else. You've got you to carry your own cross, which means you got to, what? It means you got to take on your own burden, right, of what it is I've put on your heart. He says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? He goes on to say, otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Let me give you another modern version. There's a person who started out the gym on January 1st, and they're not here February 1st. There's a person who promised their kids they'd spend more time with him, and their kids know they're not going to keep it. There's a person who said, I'm going to be at church every weekend, and we haven't seen him since January 15th. There's a person who made promises to God and to each other, and they're not keeping them. In other words, everyone can start it. Can you finish it? Bottom line is, is that if you count the cost, now it's time to pay the cost. So what does that mean? Number three, we have to deposit the price. So if you kept up with me, number one is decide what you want. Number two is determine the price. Number three is deposit the price. There's no shortcuts to success. There's no shortcuts for a great marriage, a great walk with the Lord. There's no shortcuts. Listen, you either prayed or you didn't pray. You either talked to the Lord, the Lord spoke to you through his word, or you didn't. You know, I didn't hear from God today. It probably means you didn't open the word. You open the word, you hear from God. You don't open the word, you're not going to hear from God. Simple as that. Or what you thought you heard from God, you're not going to have it confirmed by his word. So you can always wonder, was that me or was that God? Was that the Holy Spirit or was that a bad burrito? I'm not sure. <laughs> that's what the word does. It confirms what you think God told you. And you read it and you go, oh, wow, that's exactly in line with what I thought God was telling me. And so it, it, bottom line is, oh, I didn't hear from God. I just, I just can't hear from God. It means you're not in the word. You're not paying the price. If you don't pay the price to hear from God, you're not going to. Oh, I want to have a great marriage. When's the last time you took your spouse out to eat? Like, on a date, not at Target. That's not a date. I'm sorry. An actual date. If you don't do those things, you're not going to have the relationship that you once had because you forget that when you were crazy in love and couldn't keep your hands off each other, you were dating. You were pursuing. You were passionate. If you don't start pursuing again, you're not going to have that again. you got to begin to pay that price again. If you pay that price again, you reap the dividends of that. At the end of the day, there is a price tag for everything in life. Are you willing to pay the price? 2017 can be your year of victory if you'll simply pay the price. Deposit the price. What do you want? Determine it. Determine the price. Deposit the price. Decide. Determine the price. Deposit the price. Decide. Determine the price. Deposit the price. Say it with me. Decide. Determine the price. Deposit the price. Decide. Determine the price. Deposit the price. Decide. Determine the price. Deposit the price. If you'll do that, if you'll do that, 2017 will be the year you've always dreamed of. It really will. This can be the year that your marriage is the marriage you've always dreamed of. This can be the year that your relationship with God is the relationship you've always dreamed of. This can be the year that your career is the career you've always dreamed of when you just decide. You put your resume up and say, this is my company. I'm going to pour all in. And all of a sudden you go, huh, I didn't have to go somewhere else to get a raise. They actually like me now. 
they'll give me a raise. Yep, because you decided, you said, I'm all in. I'm going to make this one great. Bottom line, you got to make a decision. you got to determine the price. you got to deposit the price. There was a young man, his dad was a horse trainer. And because of that job, even though his dad was really good at it, it kind of gave him a bad education because his dad, every two or three months, would get another gig. And he'd, there'd be another race coming up somewhere, and so he'd yank his son out of school, and they'd go live wherever that race was going to be and train horses for two or three months. The race would happen, and he'd get another gig and go to another horse training facility. And that's what his dad did. So he, he kind of helped his dad more than really his education. He went to school because it was required, but then after school, he'd come and help his dad out. So he really learned a lot about horses. And so, but his, his education was, was pretty dismal. Well, he was in high school at one of the other stops, one of the stops along the way of his dad's career. And the teacher one day said, okay, class, I want everyone to write a paper on your dream. Whatever you dream of in your life, whatever you want to do with your life, just write me a paper on that. You know, and, and they, she explained all the details of it. So he went home and he wrote the paper. He wrote a seven-page paper on how he wanted to own a 200-acre horse training facility. And he got so into this that he decided to actually add a little addendum to his paper where he, he drew on a sheet of paper a diagram of 200 acres where he put this horse track and where he'd have the, the, the stables for the horses to be you know, housed in. And, then he, and, he built, and he even put a 4,000-square-foot four, home in the middle of this 200-acre you know, horse ranch, basically. And so and he wrote this whole paper in great detail. So he just poured his heart into this, turned it in the next day with all the other students, turned in their papers too. A couple days later, he's in class. The teacher passes back out the, the, uh, the, the papers. Once she graded him, he gets his paper back, and it says F on the top, see me after class. He was like, what the, are you kidding me? So he hangs out after class. He goes up to the teacher afterwards and says, what, what was, was my writing bad? What was it? And the teacher said, no, that wasn't it at all. I wanted to talk with you. He goes, look, I think you're a great young man. He goes, but honestly, with your family's income and where you're at in life, I just don't think this dream is realistic. Your dad's an itinerant horse trainer. Nothing wrong with that kind of work. He just doesn't earn a lot of money. Your family struggles financially. Do you know how much 200 acres costs to buy that and then to build a 4,000-square-foot home and these stables and the breeding rights and, and I mean, all the different things you have to have to, to breed horses? I mean, I just don't think you really understand, young man, how much this dream is going to cost. So if you'll go home, rewrite the paper with a realistic dream, I'll give you a new grade. Okay, so he goes home, talks to his dad about it. He says, what do you think I should do, Dad? He says, this is your dream, son. It's not mine. You've got to decide that. He goes back two days later. He's in class. The teacher says, hey, do you have your paper? He says, yes, ma'am, I do. He answered, he answered the paper. It's the same paper from before. She says, this, I can't regrade this. It's the same paper. And he says to her, you keep the F. I'm keeping my dream. Yeah. I love that. Monty Roberts tells that story when he invites horse trainers from all over the world to meet in his 4,000-square-foot home on his 200-acre ranch where he trains horses in Santa Barbara, California at his Flags Up Farms. And oh, above the fireplace mantle in his beautiful 4,000-square-foot home is an encased F paper to remind him not to let anyone steal your dreams. It's yours. What God put in you, let no one take from you. It's time to do it. Let this be the year of action, the year you do it, the year you do something bigger than you dreamed you could. Because it's not what you get from it. It's not where you go. It's who you become while you do it. 
So I want to challenge you today that those goals are no longer goals. It's a part of your discipleship. If Jesus put it in you and you determined that God told you this, then it is literally sin for you not to do it. Does that change your goals? See, we think, we think of sin like, well, well, I'm not sinning. I mean, I'm not like sleeping around or, you know, smoking dope. Or we, we, you know, we, we think sin is like illegal drugs. We think sin is like prostitution. Yes, those are sinful. We think sin is like sleeping with someone other than your spouse. Again, sinful. Oh, yeah, I'm, you're in the right category. I get all that. But we, we have a hard time believing that sin is not one of the big immorals. But do you know the word sin is an archery term? And it means how far off of the mark are you? My boys are really into this TV show, Arrow. The guy's like crazy accurate, right? And so, but if he's off, it's the, the mark by which you're off from the bullseye to where you actually hit is the degree of sin. So we just think of sin like I'm not even on the bullseye at all. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm off completely, you know, doing something crazy. But, but actually, if God spoke to you and told you what you're supposed to be doing with your life and you're not even attempting it, that is sin. See, I believe that, that when God put on my heart to, to plant this church, that it was sinful for me not to. If I would have gone and done something else in the ministry, I would have been sinning. He said, well, but you wouldn't have been doing anything bad. But, but that's based upon your opinion. Jesus just said I'm supposed to be listening to him more than you, right? And by comparison, he sh- so, so you may not see me as sinning, but if I know in my heart what God told me to do and I'm not doing it, that's sin. Now, re-examine your goals for a second and ask the question, are these really just my goals or are these God-given? Then I believe it is God-ordained for you to do what you're going to do this year. Don't miss the mark. Do what God told you to do. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed across all of our campuses. We're just going to take a moment to pray. I want to encourage you during this prayer time. Maybe God's speaking to you about making this year a better year than ever before. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, If the Lord is renewing a dream that's been in you all along, and you know it's time to do something different to get a different result, maybe God's speaking to you about taking some new action steps to get a new result, let this be the year of action for you. With your head bowed, your eyes closed, if God's speaking to you and you embrace what he's put on your heart and you realize it's really from him, it's time to do something different, would you just lift your hand to God today and say, Lord, I'm just going to honor you. This year, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take that step of faith. I'm going to do something different. Praise God. There's hands going up all across all of our auditoriums. Praise God. Thank you. How's God speaking to you? How's he speaking to you? Praise God. You put your hands down. Thank you. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, Jesus had a dream. Jesus had a goal. His goal was to give his life for you and me, to pay the price for our sins. That's why Jesus came. And let me tell you something about Jesus. Goal was accomplished. He died for you and for me. Then he rose again from the grave, proving that he's God. Now he waits for you and me to individually receive him. We're going to pray a prayer and you can receive Christ. I prayed this prayer many years ago, but I'm going to pray it with you out loud just to lead and guide you. We're going to join you in that prayer just to encourage you. For those of you who never prayed to receive Jesus, you can do it right now. Would you pray this prayer with us? You can just say, Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe you paid the price for my sin. And I believe you rose again. So I repent of my sins. And I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Ain't God good? His word is so true.